can, the most thing I can remember was a, a fireplace with brass, horse brasses on one side and a belt hung on the other side. And he used to put me across his knee and strap my back. I'm Anne Dibbon. And I'm Julie Tattersall. I'm Bev Evans, and this is Unexpected Turns. Hello and welcome. Today we will be talking to the indomitable Pat Brambani. She's had an incredible life journey, which she shares with us. She was one of four children when she was just a toddler. Her father sadly died of TB, leaving her mum to work three jobs to support the family who had nothing. She was evacuated at just five years old and left with only the clothes that she was wearing and her beloved Mickey Mouse gas mask. Her time as an evacuee was a terrible time, of which she never talked until recently. Consequently, with the current situation in Ukraine, this resonates with her very deeply. Thank you very much for coming and inviting me to your lovely home today. Oh, you're quite welcome, but I do feel a bit nervous. I can understand that. Right then. And it's lovely to talk to you. You're going to be our most experienced guest on this show. Very nice. It makes me feel important. You are extremely important. Yeah. And I'm very excited to come. Yes. My dad wasn't evacuated during the war. But he lived through it. But he lived through it. He's a year older than you. Yes. Well, I've always found, when I've heard the stories of the evacuees from down south, which is all... Uh, once, once you get past Coventry, is that myself? Um, uh, they were a little bit uh, better handled than we were. Right. Um, uh, they were going abroad. Some of them going to families, you know, abroad. Really? Yes, in Canada and places like that. And we were just going to anyone who would take us. Aww. Nobody was vetted. None of the hosts were ever vetted. Right. Because now with the people coming across from Ukraine, everybody's having to be vetted, aren't they? It stirs it all up and it's caused me quite a lot of an emotion just lately because even the people that are hosting the evacuees from, they don't realise they're getting somebody who's been very very traumatised and they have a parent with them with the children these you know they're not on their own they're either adults or children accompanied by their mother which will make a difference but it's double the emotion that they will be feeling there's the wife that will have emotions for leaving her husband behind and the child who practically has left everything behind that's hit her mum. Which was very different for you. So how did you come to be evacuated then? Well, my mother was widowed uh, when I was one year old with five children to bring up. My father worked for the council. He worked uh, various jobs, but he was a council worker and got fairly good wage. He was a Catholic. It was a, a different method to yeah. stop you having children. So she had five children very, very quickly. Some with two with only 18 months between them. And 
man that when she lost her husband was absolutely destitute. They could just manage when he was working. And there was no such thing as widow's pension then. Yeah. Um, and she had to apply for sick leave to, uh, from a farm to get some money. And she got it, but it was a pittance. So we were already poorly when my dad had a tumour on the brain oh. and tuberculosis. He was hospitalised. His death was quite quick. He died when I was one year old. What? So you never knew your dad? Never knew him. But I was told that when the coffin was brought into the house, remember we were Roman Catholics, yeah. um, and they'd brought for a week, you always, and his coffin was opened, and I did my first tipple tale for him because I thought he was still alive. He oh. was a great character, loved his children and looked after his children and worked in the day and went out singing in pubs at night to earn extra money. So he, he was an attentive father, but he died in an, a sanatorium in Gilts, towards where uh, Abby and John are living yeah. now, uh, which was a long way from Bradford. My mum had great difficulty, and the bus used to stop short for her to visit and he deteriorated rapidly uh, and died in the sanatorium. And uh, by that time, my mother was absolutely destitute mm -hmm. and she had to apply. There was no widow's pension and she had to apply to the council for sick pay. But they considered that the certificate of death said tumour on the brain and pulmonary tuberculosis. So they own, they, if, it was, if the doctor had put it the other way around, mm -hmm. she would have got a, a decent pension from the council. Right. But as it was, she got a pittance, 27 shillings, £1.70, to bring f uh, five of herself, herself as well. Uh, and and so how old were your brothers and sisters? Nick was responsible for us, you know, looked after yeah. us. It, was, it would have been 12 in 1932 and then when he died it went down even further and so she had to go to what they call the family allowance uh, and she was given the the weekly rent was three shillings they lacked, uh, added it all up that she got 27 shillings when she'd finished so much for gas so much for that's how it went and with no shoes or anything and we used to have to put cardboard soles in our shoes because we'd holes in them, you know. Uh, you were born in 1934 and your dad died the following year in 1935. My dad was taken ill in 1932. And he died in 1935? Yes, yeah. And so there were five of you, so Nick was the oldest. Yes. And then you had another sister and another brother. Jean. Jean, she was the next one. Yes, and she was, I, I never really took to Jean. She was very, very bossy. And we ended up <laughs> marrying brothers. Right. She was, she's a Mrs. Brambaney as well. So we, although I never really took to Jean, because she was the one that kept us all in line and Nick did the best, but he was off to the Navy, you see. Um, 
and uh, she had she had a lot of work that she had to do, you know, there for us, like you know, yeah. she was the cleaner of the house. My mother was out working. She, mother went out to work at six a.m. cleaning offices. She came home, looked after us, and this is why I thought we were evacuated because children weren't allowed to be left alone in the house when the war started. Right. But no, my brother has put it, she actually applied for us to be evacuated, did my mother. And I've only just learned that by reading this uh, life story of my brother's, that she'd applied. And that right. came as a shock out. I bet it did. I thought that we, it was compulsory, but she didn't. She just could not manage anymore with the money because she was going off to work in the morning, cleaning offices. She came back and saw to us and got us going. And she went, she went to work sewing mail bags, yeah. um, she, sacks and think that's how I came to have a sack when I was evacuated. Um, and all sorts of things like that. She just said mail bags yeah. when she said in. And then at night she went barmaiding. So she was absent from the home for a long time with Jean taking care of it and Nick, and Nick taking care. Uh, the only play, the only way we got any play was pushing it, me up in a pram at Potley Road to go to Peel Park. It's, and it says that we spent a lot of time on the swings and things like that. And he was in the choir at, uh, you know, he was he was a Roman Catholic. They're all always uh, they all were Christian Catholics, but on all confirmed except me because the war intervened. Yeah. I was christened a Catholic, but never confirmed as a Catholic. So, so there was Nick and there was Jean, and then I'd, I'd Nick, Jean, Sheila, which was the quiet one, married the officer of Aria. Um, and then Margaret. Margaret was senior by two years old. She died during COVID. So there's just me left now. So Nick lived until he was 92 and got the military to cross. It was in D-Day. Yes. And then he was on, uh, he was a gunner on a ship. And he was in Tokyo Bay when they dropped a bomb on Hiroshima. You know, but that's not important to you, you know, because no. it's important. But it's this bit here. My mother sought and obtained permission for me to be evacuated. Each of the girls, as my youngest sister had only just turned six, and it was thought that we were best that we would finish up in the same locality, so in the Bradford Council. Not in the same house, in the same locality. We went to a place called Gilstead, which is just outside Bingley. Right, yeah. West Yorkshire. Yes. We didn't go far. I think it, at the most it's about 10 or 15 miles right. from home. Thing was, we were all evacuated to very smart homes. Nick was, no, Nick was evacuated again, but only for a very short time. 
he was not old enough to be not evacuated, not old enough to work. So he how went out to, to work when he was 13. But I didn't know much about Nick because I wasn't evacuated with him. I was evacuated with my next sister who was Margaret. The same locality? The same, lo all same locality. But this was uh, the first time that he'd had sheets with no sheets. We'd only coats on the bed at home, no uh, a blanket and coats, and we all sat, slept head to tail in yeah. the home where we were. That, so there could have been that Nick never slept with us, so he had to be kind kind of have a bed separate somewhere. Um, but we were all top to tail. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I think our bodies kept us warm. Definitely. But Nick says here he got into a home where they'd, his son had just grown up and started work. Right. But um, he inherited all the boys' clothes. So it was the first time I've ever worn pyjamas, let alone a dressing gown, he says. And it was the first time I'd put my body in between sheets in bed. So, wow. on that note, I can remember my memory now comes into play. I've always remembered going somewhere posh. Yeah. Where I would have said that, you know, if they've got sheets and things like that. So I was placed with Margaret into a posh place called Gilstead. And I miss my mum so much that I was naughty. And I got, I must have stayed there a while. And I can remember being, kicking the door and wanting to go home and being naughty in this lovely home in Gilstead. So you were five when you were evacuated with Margaret yeah. to Gilstead. I can remember being outside and standing outside somewhere we had all obviously gone a coach to Gilstead. I can and I thought, thought it was a school, and people come were coming to pick us up, um, and they were complete strangers. So that's what sparked it off. Yeah, a little girl going with somebody, um, and then suddenly finding a, a home. It, I wasn't used to, you know. I was used to. Tim bath in front of the fire and they had a bathroom and I flooded the bathroom eventually <laughs> because I was, I can remember vividly that I was sat at the table and it was kippers for tea and I, I never think I'd have jam and bread, things like that and I can remember being told to go and wash my hands and I went upstairs and I was crying and messing about and apparently I'd left the plug in and the tap running and it had overflowed and uh, it dripped, dripped, dripped. But I didn't get to eat my kippers. Aww. Um, uh, but so, I think that was enough for the couple that were quite decent couple and they applied, the sent us back, wanted to send me back to the council. Both you and Margaret? Or me and Margaret. You and, Margaret. and then, we, that is when 
were ended up there. Can I have a look at I that picture? I put it on there, I don't know. But Margaret had that picture and her son walked part, part with it, so he sent me the photograph. And Anne, she, worked, she loved Margaret and wanted to to adopt her. So this is the couple? This is Mrs Ellis. I don't know whether there was a Mr Ellis or anything, but I can remember that she wanted to send me back to the council. Uh, you know, she'd stepped in to take me from Gilstead with and Margaret as well. Yeah. So Margaret had been at Gilstead with us. So this was our second posting. Mm -hmm. She took to Margaret like duck to her water, but she wanted to. She said, "I'm I'm got to send the little one back. Can't cope with her." So I got sent back. But Margaret stayed with there, and then so the council sent me to one of my older sisters, where my older sister was staying. Right. And it was Sheila, the middle one. Yeah. So you went to stay with Sheila? In an evacuation, somebody's, somebody's home. In Bingley, which is next to Gilstead. Bingley and Gilstead. I went there to stay with Sheila but when we got there he was a drunkard I prefer you not to say where I was right. because he was cruel and he was a drunkard and Sheila told me yes he used to come home and his wife used to put his wet bedding out of the bedroom window to dry because he used to pee the bed he was so drunk, and he used to have. Uh, I can the most thing I can remember was uh, a fireplace with brass horse brasses on one side and a belt hung on the other side. And he used to put me across his knee and strap me back. And of course, this was the beginning of all people not believing me. What was saying. Because no, I used to think nobody believes me, what I say. Um, and I used to, and I, I, so, so I told my mum about it. And my mum could, they knew when my mum was coming because they laid transport on the Bradford Council to take evacuees because there'd no cars or anything yeah. like that. There was no bus, bus services uh, to certain places. So they, they knew when your mum was coming on the bus. And he never, I didn't know he must have spaced it, his beatings. Because I, I used to say, no, he gives me the strap, I don't want. And remember, they used to cane children mm. and things like that then. So it wasn't unusual a punishment for a child to have the strap. Um, and mum lifted my clothes up. She I couldn't see any marks at all. She said, no, you're a kiddie. It's only to get back home. You know, you're only saying this to get back home. And so I stayed on with Sheila. Um, Did she, was Sheila and Sheila as well? She, no, she was a very good girl, was Sheila. She was a very quiet very caring. When I tell you she she knit me mittens in London camp to try and keep me warm 
And I'll tell you a bit more about Sheila later. She ended up going to Linton Camp with us, but only for a short time. So, and then my brother had gone home because he was 13 and he could work. Yes. So my mother had got him a job in a mill and he was a grammar school boy, one of the top boys in the grammar school. And she got him a, in a job called a can dodger in a woolen mill. So what that was cans, like a big oil barrels, yes. and they had to roll them around to different bits of machinery for the wool. It was a wool mill for the right. wool to come out, how it got processed from off the sheep to being knitting wool, in other words. So and it, it all went in cans to different machinery. So it was a can dodger taking the cans back and forth to the, you know, in rotation. So he never got to finish grammar school, he had to go no. to work. He writes about that. Yeah, how I bet he, he does. How devastated he was. I can imagine. Yes. He, was, he went to St Bede's Grammar School in Bradford and the teachers pleaded with my mum not to let him leave, let him to stay. But she, like I said, she'd applied for us to be evacuated. Uh, which kind of upset me because I hadn't realised, I thought yeah. it was compulsory. I didn't know that she'd done that, my mother had done that, you know, to my brother, because he was such a nice man, such a nice man. Anyway, when they, I was in Marrow with this man that he was to drink and then, you know, lose his temper, and I can remember tearing my dress at school and wishing I had a dolly's machine to to tear it up because I got strapped when I got back. But, uh, but Nick had applied to the, he'd been a Navy cadet and applied to go early into the Royal Navy and he was going so she came and brought him unexpected to Cottingley and she knew that there was something wrong with me and she saw the strap marks on my back. He never drew blood. But he used to welts, red welts on me. So she took me home straight away. Good. Straight away. Good. And Sheila. Good. Took me home straight away and applied for me to go uh, elsewhere. What exactly was Linton Camp? It was a Linton Camp residential school for difficult children, I think. We all, the Sheila, Myself and Margaret were all removed because no, Margaret's the, the one that was with the one that wanted to uh, uh, adopt her, adopt her, yeah. and she was refused. Um, but she sent her back, you know, in Jean, because Margaret complained that she were using her as a cleaner. So we all all were brought back home, good, and sent to Linton Camp. And what was that like? I can't complain about it because I feel they, they didn't teach us much. They weren't real qualified teachers. They taught us things like nature. We were in the country, right in the deep lovely, country. Lovely. So it was nature. Um, they used to take us out for nature walks. There weren't proper schooling. Margaret became a girl yeah. at, at Linton Camp. And I haven't complained about it, except the food was very limited. 
We used to have to run from a dormitory across the path for showers, that would walk through showers. And it was cold, and we'd only one blanket, and there were Nissan pubs lined with asbestos. Oh, right. So, and then I used to play mainly with the boys, I can remember. <laughs> uh, I can remember them putting me inside a tyre, you know, a big tractor tyre, yes. and wheeling me down. Oh, gosh, Pat. Um, I loved it in a way, I, but I didn't realise that I had no complaints. But then Sheila told me that I was a firm favourite of, of the headmaster. And I can remember go, going into the hospital because I had a boil and they were kind and it was nice. But we'd, we couldn't, you couldn't get elastic for your knickers and I could never keep them up. My brother came once, and I don't think my mother came much, um, but no formal teaching. So when the war ended, did you carry on at the school, or what happened? Uh, well, I was at the age to go into secondary school, and I couldn't spell. And so then I went to across the, the school in England, where my mother... In so the you meet, went back home to your mum's? Yes, alone. but not where we lived before, because it was a slum. And apps, they needed, they were slum clearance. And they'd built a, a housing estate in Bradford, and we were the first tenants in, in the place, and it was called Canterbury. Uh, when I said, where do you come from, and I said, it was the thing I was thinking I was living cancer, you know. <laughs> um, so I went to a school in Bradford, almost illiterate. I could but you do enjoyed things. yourself at, at Linton. I could Camp. do things. I loved biology and I don't know why. Uh, but it could have been the nature lessons I had. Yeah, definitely. In uh, at Linton Camp. I can remember at Linton Camp, they brought the set came up to me and said, "Your mum's at the school gate with your brother," and it was because he was being shipped to. It was going on D Day, wow. so it must have been getting a bit later because it it did serve in D Day, yeah. you know. And they'd come to say goodbye, and when I got to him, it was up a slope that it was they weren't allowed into the camp. Um, I couldn't keep my shoes on because they were completely worn out and what uh, we were we relied on uh, we all had an American pen friend when we were there anyway I'll get off but I'm going back off my story but Nick was stood there and he saw me and my, my knickers were falling down as well and, but the talk and the talk maybe did the teachers eventually how to keep the nickel legs up because there were long direct knickers yeah. then at those days. And he said, for, I can remember going, he had pockets in, in his tunic like that. And he got some money out. I said, Mum, for God's sake, will you go buy us some shoes? And I got some clogs sent, sparking clogs. Have you ever heard of them? No. Clogs. Uh, with irons on the bottom of the used to be it. Oh, hear you coming, wouldn't they? It <laughs> was very popular then because I had a sparking club. Um, so that was the memory of my brother seeing that I got some shoes. And then um, when we came home, of course, I, I've showed you that picture of yeah. us. 
with our girls stood there. Um, and of course we got some decent clothes, but we only got decent clothes once a year at Whitsuntide. We got Whitsuntide clothes then. I went to school and, and did quite well, but not in things like spelling and uh, arithmetic, no. biology and uh, acting. I always wanted to be an actor. I can imagine you as an actress. Yeah. You'll not, you'll be surprised at this. My sisters left all one by one. Um, I, I left school and my sisters all went into sewing in a factory yeah. in Bradford. Yeah. A sewing overalls they made. We all wore pinnies then. You, yes. well, I still wear a pinny. Do you know what a pinny? I is? do know what a pinny yeah. is. <laughs> um, we all wore pinnies, and uh, we had plenty in our house. I can tell you, with three stores. So they all went to a place called Slater's in Bradford, that was a sewing machine factory. Uh, but they didn't earn much, and all my thoughts was money. I wanted money when I got out finished. Well, you've been poor all your life. I can understand exactly. it, yes. I can't remember ever having money in my, mm. in my hand, ever. Yeah. Even when we went out at Linton Camp for, we went into the village and sometimes the villagers weren't right keen on having a camp there, you know. Some of them were quite low, but there was a tuck shop, but I never had any money to spend in the tuck oh. shop. So um, I wanted money and I said to my mum, I'm coming into the mill with you. And I went into the mill and we worked um, from seven till five with half an hour, uh, a 15 minute break at night in the morning and half an hour's lunch. And Saturday morning was compulsory. Mm. So we had to work Saturday mornings, but it wasn't for long. But I was the first girl in the family to leave at 15. They all left at 14. Nick left at 13. Yeah. And we started work. I don't know, but I don't know how my mum wangled it, but she did, you know. So I worked with my mum and I got a quick promotion in the mill. To go working. on, yeah, not to be a can dodger, which was just nothing, was it? To go on the combing machines, and I have a, a photograph of me sat on a combing machine. Wow. And I got, if you worked hard and you were alert all the time, you could, you usually looked after two, three or four machines. I got as if I could have more money, and I looked after six machines. But I got a remand because I used to watch my machines and read Forever Amber, which was a very racy book. Oh, right. I'll have to look it up. And, you know, it was sexy. And it was, <laughs> you know, it was a famous book then. And I had this Forever Amber and I was sat with the machines lined up. And I used to read it like this, so nobody knew, you know, but then I'd get really interested in it. And I nearly got, I got warned about it. So I had to leave forever, I'm alone. But then I <laughs> thought, I can do better than this, than this, I'm sure. So I worked for them for about a year. And the first thing I bought was a bike with my money. Oh. 
because uh, I wanted to, you know, have wheels. And so that was the start of the cycling legacy in the family, was it? And the start and the end, I must say. <laughs> because I never go any further than about 10 miles. Okay. <laughs> I have a photograph of me on my book, on my back as well. And then I saw in the paper an advert that Marks and Spencer's put in uh, that wanted staff in Marks and Spencer's in Bradford. Please apply in writing. All right. So I thought, I can't write, I don't know how to, I'm not, I can't write a letter. In the before that, I joined the Girl Guides, and that Girl Guide organisation made me see life in a different way. Oh, how so? I could do better. So that's why you wanted to leave the mill? And I did well in guides. I was looked on as if I was a person instead of a waif, you know. I could do better for myself. So that's the first time, so when you joined Girl Guides, that's the first time you felt like you were looked up to and admired. Yes. Somebody wanted to help me. Somebody would say I was good. Somebody, they were wonderful with me. We both, me and my friend down the street, we both joined. And our biggest worry was putting handkerchiefs in the top pockets because they didn't want the bus to look big. <laughs> So off we went to Girl Guides, after when I'd seen this advert and I thought I'll go to the library and see if I can get a book on how to write a letter. So I got this book and I, it did, it told me, apply in writing, it said, you know, there were nothing mm -hmm. else. Um, and I got the job and Marks and Spencers were the second biggest influence in my life. The Girl Guides were the first. The book made me feel valued. I was a valued member, and Marks and Spencer's simply brilliant. It was a wonderful, and, and sweets were still on ration. You can tell, and they had a shop opposite Marks and Spencer's, and when I, and sweets were coming off ration, and of course you had to start early. And I thought, when I come home, I'm going to get in there and get some sweets when I come come out, Mark. Bloody empty. <laughs> there wasn't a jar, wasn't a there were piles, jars and jars and when I went in and it's empty. What was it about Marks and Sparks then that was Well, first of all, I can remember most a big mirror upstairs in the staff room and he said, Are you fit for the sales floor? And you were value because the, the manager used to come round there were tills on every counter and the manager used to come round and see why your sales were going up and he'd talk to you and he would question you about the manufacturers and why does this sell more well, better than anything else and I was on corsetry and of course it's not what you would think would it that it would inspire you but I knew it I, I made it my job to do it properly yeah and also as a girl whose knickers could so stay they, up to know yes, about courses did nothing couldn't even write a letter properly no and they, and they even sent me to the dentist the first time look at the teeth and they looked after you medically as well 
and gave you uniforms that you look so smart in. And I started on biscuits, but then I got promoted to carpentry. And the manager used to come round, quite nice man, but he was very fussy because all the time he was going and straightening packages up because if you took a bra out of the packet, it had to go back in. Um, and one thing or another, and he'd be just round and round like that. Now I think, what's this in? I'm, what, what manufacturer is it? Why does this sell more than that? And what, all questions like that, you know. And, I knew the answers because I, yeah, I knew the manufacturer yeah. from the number on the ticket on the brother. Because you paid attention. And I got to be supervisor. Congratulations. And when I was the supervisor, they trained me on window dressing. I had a, a, some time in as window dressing and one thing and another. And I, I really loved it. I'd met Peter then. Oh, you met Peter while you were at Marks and Spencer's? Yes. How did you meet Peter then? Yeah, well... My sister was going out with his brother, um, so I never took any notice. And then my sister decided after t two or three years, two years, something, she was going to marry, uh, they called him Bram, uh, but he was near him, was Ernest really, but Bram Bainey, it was always Bram. And she'd marry Bram. And you're not going to be my bridesmaid. You know, I don't want you near me as a bridesmaid. So I never, I didn't know anything about a courtship or anything. I knew that he rode a bike and I knew that they were in the Jack and Jill club and they all went out on the bikes, pedal bikes, yes. one thing or another. Uh, and I didn't know about Peter, I didn't know anything about the family at all. And then it came to the wedding and no, she were getting married on Boxing Day. Well, I just bought a new look coat because I was at Marks and Spencer's and I was getting a good, a good wage. I went to the church very reluctantly on Boxing Day because I wanted to be out with my friends, you see. <laughs> Not because I'd started thinking about boys by then. Not um, with Jean to get married, you know, because she was always the dominant one. In other words, you could nearly say like a mother, you know. So I went, I went to, to the Mass and I didn't see Peter and then, but he was a groomsman. But what happened is he trapped his finger in the door of the car, of one of the cars when he was in, and had to be rushed up to the infirmary. So I'd never seen him. Uh, you know, I didn't see Peter and the next thing I knew she was having babies and one thing or another. And in the meantime, my brother had been, got married as well. And uh, he'd got, uh, was having his wife's 21st birthday party in a pub. And Peter was there. And uh, uh, we talked and one thing and another, but not much. Can't remember what it was. But the thing that, what, what I do remember, he said, do you want a lift home? So I said, when, I, when the party was finished, I said, why? Because I, you were a cyclist, you know. He said, oh, I've got a motorbike outside. Well, that was just what I was waiting for somebody with wheels, you know. To take me out. <laughs> so I said, Oh, yeah, I'll have, I'll have a lift out. We're only like, just not far from going down, back down to Pigger 2, you know, but I'd have a lift on. And then he says, Oh, I'll, uh, I'll take you to Dales if you want. And it just went from there. And then all of a sudden, my mother said, Pat, you're going to have to find a house. 
I'm leaving you. You're, you're having to leave this house. I'm leaving this house. I'm going to live with your brother. And uh, I was 20 then. And I said, well, I said to Peter when I was seeing him off and smoking, I don't know what I'm going to do. He says, well, she's 21st coming up. How about getting engaged? Ah! Just like that. Gosh. And we'd never been... Not really kissed or anything, were we? Really? No, but we got on very, very well. Very well. And he got a bomb mini car. A three-wheeler bomb mini car that just after that. Um, three-wheeler bomb mini car, uh, gosh. So we could go out in Dales and canoodle with them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's how I met him, not through my sister. No. And she had two children there. When he said, would you like an engagement ring? Well, we were married within four months. God. Um, straight, nearly straight away to get into the house. And I took my mother's, a lot of my mother's furniture. But it was a back-to-back, -back, no bathroom. Going back to what I used when I was a child. But we altered it and I lived in there for 12 years with no children. But this is what made me leave Marks and Spencers. So he said, I said, Oh, they want me to go to Baker Street to train as a corsetry buyer. Um, I got, I've been, been selected as supervisor, supervisor yeah. before, and, and one thing or another, and I was full of it, you know. He said, well, it's either me or Baker Street. <laughs> you either stay here or you, I'm finishing, you know. This was before we, my mother said, got, got this, you know. And it was four months before we got married. Yes, and he carried on working as a butcher. As a butcher, and she left him. And the biggest thing that happened after that was she died. Did miss? She was German, was the owner. Right. And she died. She was always Austrian to everybody. And uh, she left him some money. And it just put us, no debt. A car yeah. paid for, we'll have a caravan. And when I got a caravan, we went and decided to put it on a campsite called Markin in Markington, in near Ripon. And there were millionaires with those people. And his, his mother and father owned part of Pleasure Black, Blackpool, Pleasure Beach, and sold it. it there were Jim and Ishbel. They were a bit older than us. She was Scottish, yeah, and we just got on chilled, and we were we started going on holiday together, and we, I did all the organising because there was no travel agents then, you see, right, and uh, we went to um, Mallorca when there were way to uh, only one hotel on Farm Nova. So what uh, year would that have been? We married in fifty five. Uh, we started going abroad about fifty eight. With the caravan first, and then Jim and Eshbel asked us to go with them. Uh, we went to Italy, where Peter was, uh, his, his ancestors came, came. Yeah. with the caravan that you had to put on a train to go through the tunnel, uh, through the Dolomites and things like that. And one thing that put me on a good road, Peter bought me a Vespa. <gasps> How did you go on that Vespa? Well, that was some I adventure. I can't say I did it brilliantly. I slowed up a lot of French drivers. You got there? I got there. 
And Peter, in this back-to-back, -back, Peter used to bring the bloody Vespa inside to do the servicing for But we were no children, you see. That I was going to say... Twelve years before we had Lisa. Twelve, thirteen And you'd, you'd left Marks and Sparks? I left, I left, reluctantly left Marks and Spencers to stay. Not that I kind of loved him, but I loved the life of going out on the bike on the motorbike, you know, and meeting all his friends and things like that. We hadn't started caravanning then, you know, or anything. Right. So I, I left Marks and Spencer's and got a job at Baird Televisions. Yes. Making televisions. I just flew ahead in that and I got to be a supervisor of 60 girls on a production line. And I worked for them for 12 years until I started with, with Lisa. Right. And I was, I really, you know, I could sack them and one thing and another. I was in charge, like, you know, but they, they employed thousands. But I got a really good wage. And all this coincided with Mary, with the money that Mary left us, you know, and me suddenly getting more wage than what Peter was getting when I was at bed television. All right. Yeah, so really, I left Marks and Spencer's reluctantly. Um, but you got better paid. Pay, yeah. Got and you were still highly thought of, so you still but felt... But I didn't, yeah. I had to work my way up. Oh, definitely. I, I had to go as a solderer, soldering panels and things like that, you know. I had to work my way up in, in bed television, but I did. I worked for 12 years for them. And then I we... went on monthly salary, which is, you could hardly believe it, you know. And it was great because I could save up. And then also, Peter became manager. And at that time, when you were a shopkeeper, you looked after the greengrocer, and the greengrocer looked after him. So we never Because so, he, he had the butchers, didn't he? Pardon? He, had the, he was at the butchers, wasn't he, Peter? All the time, yeah. yeah. And he just got to be the owner, you see. Yeah. Well, he had partners as well, you know. But um, it was the beginning was Murray dying and leaving him with his money, and then we got the caravan. So it took us into the life of Jim and Ishbel, which we went two two days a week to the caravan, and it didn't matter about us living in back to back, although I'd had it all modernised, we weren't interested in getting another house right. until I said I'd had enough of the high, but drinking till two o'clock in the morning and things like that in Markington. And I said, it's time we settled down and we got all this plot. We came up, it was a chapel. This plot? Yeah. So you moved from your back to back? Back to back, yeah. To this lovely plot here. Yeah. You bought the plot of land and you built the house. Yeah, four thousand pounds. It was. In nineteen sixty-six, I was in hospital, pregnant with Lisa. You got this caravan and then you bought this plot of land, and you had Lisa. We had, had we bought one or two caravans while we were there. You know, we had a little bluebird first, and we had with a lovely metropolitan car. 
I don't know whether you've noticed, and I keep saying, I have a photograph somewhere. I know, I bet you do. And no, what I say, going to say again, but this is something that I feel I have to prove these things and people won't believe me because I've been so lucky. Been so lucky what just me to it was Marks and Spencers and Girl Guides and that's the beginning of it all. My look, smile. And I feel as if I can't can't believe it myself, you know. I was sitting in Tito's that it's a nightclub overlooking a Palmer no a Palmer Harbour in 1959. I mean, he just nobody went abroad. There were no travellers. No. There were only telescopes. No. Yeah, and it was incredible. And the magician picked on Peter to take his wristwatch. <laughs> and he, Peter didn't even know. Oh, he was such a nice bloke, Peter. Peter, but the other thing is, you know, like I said, I met uh, the girl guides, then Marks and Spencers, then Peter. I never really fell in love with him, but it was just, I always wanted somebody taller. <laughs> he was your man and you were... Well, I don't know, I just, he was just such a lovely man. He was different to his brother, but I can't find anybody that didn't love it, that didn't say what a lovely man he was. He help anybody, you know, he was just absolutely lovely. And it always came back his way, you know, if he, like, somebody gave me a lift up from Picatou about three weeks ago, and I was struggling a bit because I'd been gardening, which I still like to do down there, and I'd taken this, had this off, and I'd stopped just outside Lisa's and I took this off and they dropped on the floor and I made walking stick and lead and one thing and another. And a woman just pulled up at my car and just stepped, she said, you, you look as a bit exhausted, love. And I was. She said, can I give you a lift? Never seen her in my life before. So I said, she said, I'm going left at the crossroads here, just out there. I said, yes, I live on the fourth house coming, going on, give, I'd be obliged if you give me a look. And she came round and she said, and she opened the door for me and now we're, get, we're going to get out. And she said, oh, by the way, I'm so-and-so, you know, Sandra or whatever name, I'd forgotten what she said. Oh, and I'm Pat Brambaney. But did you know Peter Brambaney? That just, I, I said, yeah, but my husband, oh, I'll never forget. This is only three weeks ago. Gosh. And he's been dead 30 years. Yeah. She said, I'll never forget him. She said, my, my father had just had a wedding for my, my, my other sister and got into debt for the wedding reception. And he told me that he couldn't afford my wedding reception. So I had to find myself. She said, I knew the butcher shop. So I went in and I asked, I asked for... for Mr. Brambaney, somebody told me to ask him. She said, he came walking through, she said, I ordered a big, big joint of pork like that. He, he roasted everything, the pizzas, big ovens, and a big joint of beef, and a boiled ham like that. She says, and he, he, he took the order, and she said, when I went for him, he'd sliced them all, 
put them on, a, on fancy dishes for me. She said, and he hardly charged me anything and gave me a note to go to Newballs to get all the bread free. Nice. She said, and I didn't even work for him. Gosh. She said he was... And that, it, that was Peter all over. Always giving somebody to something. You know, nice. just helping, helping people. So and that was 30, 30 years. 30 years ago, and she remember that. Yeah, gosh. Well, Pat, you, I'm glad that you've had all these good influences because you certainly had a rough start to her. Yeah, it's life. had a very mixed life. Very mixed life. Yeah, from be, from meeting cruel people and ending up with them. And Jim and Ishbel were so... That were the caravan owners. And what you don't know is we had a, a, a lot of friends that were gay and it was illegal. Yeah, it was at that gay. time. And they, we went out. We used to go out drinking with them. When the pub shut, when Jim's pub shut, we were all piled into two couple of cars and went out for a few drinks elsewhere. We got really friendly with one that were gay because they had a jeweler shop in Harrogate and the stuff he gave me, jewellery he gave me, you won't believe it, he gave me pearls, he gave me diamonds, a really lovely man. You know, he used to put them in little fancy containers and just leave them on the bar for me. Oh. Me and Ishbel, he used to give Ishbel as well. Because you see, we were we were such good friends, but not we didn't need this. Uh, we didn't make inquiries as to what he was doing. And one of the men, one of the men he went around with, was on stage with George Formby. Don't know whether you were. I've heard, heard of George Formby, yeah. yeah. And um, he was an actor, you know, was in the entertainment business. So it was a really lovely life that I lived. Ah, well, I've loved I've loved talking to you and hearing about you, your best I'll bits. I'll show you my house now. So. Definitely, I will stop recording this. Thank you very, very much. It was an absolute pleasure to spend the afternoon with Pat at her home in Yorkshire, and I felt really honoured that she shared her story with us. Next week we talked to the very glamorous Jane James. I can remember working with Jane. She was always the life and soul of the party, chatty, outgoing, and always beautifully groomed. But then she changed, becoming anxious and withdrawn. But determined to find out what was going on, Jane sought help and is now helping and advising others. Hear her story in our next episode. Thank you for listening. Take care. What can I say about the incredible Pat Brambani? As you know, I have a personal connection with Pat and her granddaughter is marrying my son later this year. And in true Pat style, she's already made herself an outfit and is busy making her own hat for the wedding. She's also turned 90 last month. 
quite an incredible achievement. Pat continues to go strong. She isn't on any social media, so you can't follow her. But I will be keeping you updated on my own Instagram and in particular, letting you know more about what we are calling the wedding. Till next time. Bye.